Good morning, Big Valley Grace. My name is Lonnie Skiles. I'm the newest guy on the block. <clears throat> People said, you're on staff. Says, yes, I am. I'm that little rubber thing at the very bottom of the stick, right? It's good to be here. And uh, oh, wow, what a great morning of worship in that song. You are good. You are good. I have a dear friend whose daughter is uh, spending, she has just a few more days left. <clears throat> She's uh, struggling with cancers. I've been a four and a half year journey. And those songs take on whole new meaning when you're in the, uh, in the fire. And so if you're visiting here today and you think that uh, we as Christians have it made, that we, our life is sweet and good and we haven't experienced the burden and the sorrow and the pain that you have, you don't know our stories. A lot of us have been in the fire. We've been through the fire. Those songs mean a lot, don't they? And even in the fire, the Lord is good. It is amazing. And the depth of pain and grief, the sweetness of the Lord is there. That doesn't mean that you're laughing, but there's a comfort. In fact, um, my friend's son, we had a time of prayer for uh, his daughter, his sister Carrie. And it says in, the, in that moment, that great moment of the fire, the Lord gives us what we need in the moment and in the day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today's own problems will be sufficient for the day. But for right now, he overwhelms us with his peace and his comfort. There's still pain, but there is joy in knowing that there's something new coming and heaven is just around the corner. And it breathes life into a very sad situation. And that isn't make-believe, isn't pretentious. It is real. The comfort and the peace and the presence of Christ is real. He is alive. He is not dead. And he is coming again. Oh, it's good. I have the pleasure of teaching this morning. We're going to be looking at John chapter 2, verses 23 through 25. And this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about your relationship with your Lord. For some of you, it may be brand new. For some of you, Christ may be a stranger to you. You've been invited by a friend. Maybe you just walked into the door and all this seems weird to you. Songs were weird to you. Everything seems weird to you. We look weird to you, but we're glad you're here. And I would be glad to meet with you if you're brand new. I'm kind of brand new, actually. Uh, Modesto has been my home, but I've been away for over 14 years from Big Valley. In the last seven, I've been in Pennsylvania, pastoring a a great church in uh, southeastern Pennsylvania. And the Lord has brought us back to Modesto. And it's a real gift, a real pleasure to be able to serve with Joel and Pastor Rick and Pastor Scott and Tim and others. So it's just a, a, a wonderful, wonderful delight. Many of you know our story and you have been praying for us. I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, your prayers are very significant in our lives. Uh, the journeys that we have been on, your support and encouragement have been a wonderful blessing to us. Some of you came and visited us in Pennsylvania. You included that as a part of your, your travels. We lived real close to uh, Amish country. And so when you were out that area, you stopped and visited us. That refreshed our hearts deeply. If you're in the venue today, welcome to Susquehanna, to, not Susquehanna Grace, this is Big Valley Grace. I knew it was going to happen one of these days. We're glad you're here too. And if you're visiting today, a special welcome to you. I would love to meet with you. I'll be here in the front. And even if you're over in the venue, please come over and shake my hand and introduce yourself. may not be able to remember your name, but I, I do want to meet people and get reestablish some of the connections. My role at, <clears throat> at Big Valley is to encourage the development of small groups because the, the experience in Christ is more than what we have here on a Sunday or, uh, or on a Saturday. 
and I shared it with the, with the last group. We, you, you need to be in a place where everyone's troubles are the same and everyone knows your name. And that's not a bar. It ought to be in Christ. That's what Acts 2.42 was all about when people came to Christ. Man, they just, they, they came together. They needed encouragement that through the persecutions, through the troubles and the afflictions. And folks, we will go through troubles. That's for sure what will happen. Jesus said, you can count on this. There will be trouble. And if you're growing up or you're walking through life and you hadn't shed a tear yet, it's going to come. There will be a time. Uh, trouble, we are, none of us, none of us are immune for difficulty. I have some dear friends that are struggling through Parkinson's disease and they're the last stages of that terrible, terrible disease and their body is a prison and they look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. We will go through difficulties and folks don't go through it alone. There's an experience I had years ago. <clears throat> I was actually serving here many, many years ago and I had to go to Oakland Children's Hospital and I was there with a mom and dad who had to make a critical decision to disconnect the life support from their little child. That's a, a, a time that I, I would hope that none of you would ever have to experience. Maybe some of you have. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible time. And uh, it was a privilege to be there with them as we met with the doctors and then we made the decision. But down the hall, another family was there too, making a similar decision all alone. No family, no friends, no pastor, no one all by themselves, meeting with the doctor, making the same critical decision. Uh, my heart broke for those folks that didn't have the community of Christ around them. If anything that this weekend should teach us is that we do not know what tomorrow brings. I just had a friend whose uh, son was killed in an industrial accident just a few days ago, 56 years old. Thought he was gonna go home that day. His wife and children thought they were gonna see him that day. Lots of things happen, don't they? Our stories change. There'll be a doctor's appointment you will have. We ought not fear those things. It's part of Jesus' story in our life. It's a part, he has the privilege of writing and scripting our story. And what makes that song so powerful is he can take those incidents and he can take that story and do an incredible thing. I love Ephesians 3.20. It says, now to him who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine according to his great power that works within us to the glory listen to this to the glory of jesus christ and the church forever and ever amen you notice it's to his glory not to mine he's to be exalted i'm to decrease he's to increase he loves taking my story exalting the power and the work of jesus christ and he can't wait to embrace me and say lonnie welcome home he wants to do to each one of us that today. And so tonight, to this morning, when I talk to you about your relationship with the Lord, maybe some of you do not have one. This, again, this seems strange to you. Others, this is very familiar with you. And there'll be some things that we'll talk about here today that I hope will be helpful to all. There'll be some questions that I'll be asking. I hope you grab those questions because they're not only meant to examine our lives, but also to be tools that God might use uh, as instruments to bring someone else a blessing of Christ and a blessing of grace. There's a couple of questions I want to ask you. You might want to write these out. In fact, you should have received a study sheet. Why don't you take that out? Let's kind of walk through this together. There'll be some blank uh, things that will come up on the screens that you'll want to write. But here's a couple of questions. These aren't on your study sheet. So you might want to grab some of these. A.W. Tozer, who's an incredible author, says that what we think about God, um, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing to us. Think about that. 
What comes to our mind when we think about God is what's most important to us. So what do you think about when you think about God? That is a, that's the question that you ask your friends and your relationships. And that's something we should even ask ourselves. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, that we need to examine ourselves. So there is an appropriate time in our lives. We need to look and say, Lord, am I, are you really here? Are you really me? Do, do you and I have this real relationship? And that's part of what today's about is that we examine our hearts. So when you think about God, what do you think about? There are some that maybe you are even here today and you, you think, one, you're just even struggling with the idea, the concept that there is even a God. You're just not sure that there is, that all this thing happened by chance. You're gonna live your life differently if you don't have a concept of, that there is a God out there who loves you and walks with you. But if, you, if, you, if he's just completely off of the screen and he's not even a part of your life, you're gonna live your life differently. You may even be here today and friends, who would say they would put themselves in this category. He's there. We know he created the heavens and the earth, but he walked away from everything. And he, he, everything that happens is just stuff that happens. It just, it's just stuff that happens. You're going to live your life differently if you think that the Lord doesn't care about you and isn't walking with you. There'll be others of you that say that God is near. And others of you that says, you know, I'm going to see him face to face. All of those things will have an impact on how you live your life and the decisions you make. A.W. Tozer is absolutely right. And so what we think about is really what concerns us the most. But C.S. Lewis, when he saw that, said, but there's another more important question. And this is the question is, is what did God think about you when he thinks about you? So when God looks at you, and he knows you, he knows every cell in your body, he knows every tear you've ever shed, he knows your story. When he thinks about you, what does he think about? Does he know you? I mean, there will be a time where there will be a disjudgment seat and people will say, Lord, we did all this stuff. And he says, I don't even know you. Does he know you? You have a relationship with him? Would he call you one of his children? Or as he looks at you, he says, why doesn't he get it? <laughs> I've been so good to him. I've been so gracious to him. He lives his life as though I don't even exist. When he thinks about you, what does he think about? We're going to look at the scriptures here in just a moment in John chapter 2. Because the heart of this story connects to three other stories in John chapter 3 and John chapter 4. And the key that you're going to pick off of here today is that Jesus knew their hearts. And we're going to look at verse 24 in just a moment where it says that while they believed in him, Jesus did not believe in them because he knew what was in their hearts. He's not fooled by the things that come out of our lips. In fact, in Hebrews, it says that their lips profess me, but their heart is far from me. I would hope that would not be your heart here today. Whenever I approach scripture, I think of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 70, that says that all scripture, so as you hold this book, every verse in scripture is God-breathed. And as we look at the story that John wrote, it's his story. It's his experiences as he walked with Jesus and was with him every day for three and a half years. And he even knew him before him because he was a cousin of Jesus. He writes this story so you and I might believe, but every word that's here is God-breathed. That means that doesn't mean that God said, okay, John, write this word down. But as John wrote, the Holy Spirit was over John and says, that's right, that's right. You just keep writing, John. You just keep writing, John. And he has preserved this, this word over the ages. It's amazing how this thing has been preserved. 
And it's very profitable in our life. It's meant to instruct us, to teach us, to correct us, to train us in righteousness. And I love the last verse, so that you and I, that you and I would grow strong and deep in Christ. That we would be prepared for every good work that God has in store for each one of us. Folks, we need this word in our life, not just in John, but in Matthew and in James and 1 John. It will be a strength to your life. Jesus said to his disciples, everyone who hears my words and obeys them, he will be like a man who builds his house on a rock. And those of you there in construction, you know how important it is to have a solid foundation. The National Park Service built a... Um, visitor center in the, in the Everglades in Florida. <laughs> it never opened up because it's just before they were having the dedication to cut the ribbon, it started to sink. <laughs> Can you imagine millions of dollars in this incredible visitor center built upon soupy soil and it sank and Jesus says, that's what your life is like. If you hear my words and you do not obey and do not take them to heart, you'll be like the one who builds a visitor center on soupy soil and when the storms of life come, you're gonna sink and you're gonna crash and you're gonna burn. And that's not what we would want for anyone. And we're here today to just proclaim the truth of God's word. <clears throat> for those of you that are fairly new here today or you haven't been, um, maybe you've missed a few Sundays, we've been studying the book of John. Pastor Rick has been leading us in John chapter one and John chapter two. Uh, and the next week, Pastor Rick will be here and he'll be in John chapter three. That's the practice. We encourage you always to bring a Bible. If you don't have one, we have some to give out here. If you see someone in your row, in your row that doesn't have one, be sure and share it with them. But as we look at this, I just want to give you just a little bit of background. As I've said already, this, the author of this book, his name is John. And in your study notes, you'll see that there are verses there you can look at that attest to that. As you read the book of John, if you're not familiar with this gospel, this letter, uh, you won't find his name mentioned. John was a very humble man, and what he'll use is terminology like the disciple that Jesus loved or the other disciple. He'll never refer to himself by his proper name, but there's enough clues as we look at it that could be no one other than John. He was the one that Jesus said as he looked from the cross, John, would you take care of my mom for me until she dies? And he did. And so there's many other evidences that we know of this, John. There's no dispute that John, who was a real person, who was the oldest of all the disciples, meaning old, he lived the longest of all the disciples. All the other disciples, when he wrote this, had already been martyred. And it was out of that condition, he says, I need to write some of this stuff down. Matthew, Mark, and Luke had already been written. He was familiar with their stories. And as you read the book of John, it's almost as though John says, yeah, but let me tell you what also happened at the time of the Last Supper with Jesus. Yeah, it, 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 Jesus was born in a manger, but his story really doesn't start there. In fact, where it starts in John 1, 1 is that in the very beginning, before anything else was, was the Word of God, and the Word of God was with God, and the Word of God was God. All the characteristics of God wasn't a God, as some people would say, wasn't a promoted angel, as some would think, wasn't the brother of Jesus, as some have espoused, he was God. And he was with God in the beginning before anything else ever was. If you could go back as far back into eternity as one could ever go, was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, a wonderful community with each other. And Jesus, who is the Word of God, <clears throat> Jesus is his earthly name, but the Word of God did not consider equality with God something to hang on to. He was equal with God. And he says, I'm willing to humble myself even to the point of becoming a human being, even to the point of death on the cross, so that these folks might be saved. And God the Father was pleased with that and has made his name higher than any name so that the very name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is coming to every single person. And it's coming, folks. 
That's the truth. You may not believe that the Lord even exists today, but there will be a time, Scripture says, that you will stand before him face to face. And at that point in time, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, including yours. There will not be one prideful person that will be able to stand before Jesus Christ when they see his scars and they see his, his, his rightness and his judgment. And they'll say, you are right, I have been wrong. You don't want to, that's a day you're going to wish you had a savior. This was written in 85 to 95 AD. Jesus has been resurrected from the dead for about 60 years. John was there when Jesus ascended into the sky. John was there when he heard Jesus say, the, <clears throat> the angel said, this same Jesus that you saw is gonna come in exactly the same way. The reason that we know it's at the end of his life is because in the last chapter of John, John records the story of when he was walking with Jesus and Peter and Jesus is informing Peter how he's going to be killed. He says, there's gonna be some men that are gonna take you where you do not wanna go. Your hands are gonna be outstretched, referencing the cross. And Peter turns to him and says, well, Jesus, says, this is how I'm gonna go out. What about this guy behind me who was John? John was much younger than Peter. John was a young man when he was walking with Jesus. And Jesus turns to him and says, Peter, if I want this guy to live until I come back again, what is that to you? You keep following me. So John includes this story because he's 90 some years old. And people were beginning to say, I remember what that story in John chapter 21. In fact, the Caesar had tried to boil him, tried to fry him in oil, and it didn't happen. He had an experience like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was rescued from the pot of oil. And people are thinking, this guy's never gonna die. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what Jesus is talking about. My death is coming. Christ is coming. It may not be in my lifetime, but he's gonna come. I wanna write these things down and fill in some of the blanks. It is interesting, you look at John. He, there's no contradiction. He doesn't say, well, Luke kind of got it right. Oh, Mark, oh, Mark, Mark was such a kid. He got that one wrong. He didn't, no, he fills in some of the blanks. It's wonderful as you look through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, how these stories wonderfully mesh together. And folks, there is no good reason why John would write this other than he wants to tell you his personal story. He's not in it to create a, a big organization. He's not creating, there's no franchise, there's no money involved. He's not trying to sell books and go on a radio circuit, none of that. He's just trying to tell you his story. And in John chapter 20, he says, the reason that I'm writing this, the reason I'm telling you this story is that you might believe that you might put your full confidence and trust in Jesus Christ like we have, and that by, by believing in Christ, by trusting him, by embracing him, that you would have a life in his name, abundant life, joy-filled life, life that flows out of you almost like a bubbling spring is what we'll read in John chapter four. That's the life that Jesus offers. Freedom from sin, made washed clean from sin, changing your stories to stories of victory rather than of defeat. I have a dear friend back east who has tattoos all over him. Just, he's one of the last guys that I baptized. I said, Dan, the Lord is gonna change what those stories mean on your arms. He's gonna take those images of death and turn them into images of life. That's what Jesus does. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? There's different levels of belief. In James chapter two, James writes that the demons even believe in God. Did you know that? 
In fact, as you read through the Gospels, there are many occasions when Jesus would walk into the town that demonic men would run up to him and the first thing's out of their mouth, they says, Jesus, Son of God, Holy Son of God, what are you here for? Are you here to torment us? Is this the day of judgment? Is this why you're coming? They have no, folks, they, were, they had no doubts. Nicodemus in John chapter three isn't sure who Jesus is, but the demonic man, he knew who Jesus was. He wasn't guessing. He remembers when he was in the throne room of God. He remembers there in eternity past what it was to, to bring news before the throne. He remembers when Jesus was surrounded by the seraphim and the cherubim. He remembers all of that. There's no mystery to him. So how come they're not going to heaven? How is it that a demon can believe in God? And I share this with you, folks. Grab hold of this because you have had friends. I know you've had friends who have said to you as you have attempted to share with them, I believe in God. I pray all the time. Anybody hear that? Well, good for them, so do the demons. They believe in God. So what separates their belief and your belief? How is your belief any different? Recognize it as you study the scriptures that there's different levels of belief. And we're gonna see this in John 2, 23, that the people are gonna see these miracles and they're gonna believe, but there's something was different about their belief that Jesus did not believe in them. It's because he looked at their hearts. The reason the demons are going to suffer is because though they know who Jesus is, though they know he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, they say, I don't care who you are. There's no way I'm going to follow you. There's no way I'm going to bow down to you. There's no way that I will spend eternity in hell before I ever bow down and kiss your feet. There's a point of decision for every one of us where Jesus knocks on the door of the heart. Jesus beckons us. He brought you here today. He brought all of us here today. We're all here by his divine appointment. There's something here for each one of us today. Not because of me. It's because of his word here. Lord wants this word to penetrate our hearts. He wants to open our eyes. He wants to open our ears. He wants to do something brand new in each of our lives. And we want that to happen, don't we? So let's look at John chapter 2, verses 23 and 24 and 25. And, and as I read this, I'm going to narrate, just give it, give it a little bit more depth to it. And then we're going to look and answer some questions as to what the people were seeing and what they were hearing and how it might connect with us today. So if you have your Bibles open, let's look at this. John chapter 2, verse 23. Read along with me. Don't be afraid to write in your Bibles. Take notes if you need to. But here's what John says. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, that gives us a clue to the time of year. It's in March and April. And, we, and if we look back at verse 20, where it says that the Jews replied, it's taken 46 years to build the temple. We know that this date is AD 27. If you want to know why we think that, it just will take too much time to explain it to you. But that, that's why John writes this, is so that we know this is historically accurate. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. When you see the word many, these aren't just a few dozen. We're talking about thousands of people who witnessed these things. Why, the, why the, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were not afraid to write is because when they wrote these letters, people were still alive who saw these things. At any point, someone could have contradicted it and said, no, 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 that's not what happened. I was there. There's not a single historical reference of any contradiction of anyone that says, no, 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 it's not there. In Jerusalem, it was the habit of the Jewish men to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship at the Passover feast, to worship at the temple. People were coming from all over the known world. Jewish men and women, boys and girls, were coming from all over the Jewish world to worship here in Passover. 
Jerusalem would swell up to what they estimate to be over a million people. A town that might have been numbered in the hundreds of thousands was suddenly swelled by visitors from countries such as far as east as Iran, as far away as from Italy, from the northern part of Africa, and all over Turkey, and all around. If you could just imagine the Mediterranean, just draw a big old circle around that area. People from all over that Mediterranean region, including Ethiopia, would come to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And guess where Jesus was? He was there at the temple. Just like a good Jew was, he was there at the temple. And as he was there, Jesus' heart was broken. He did incredible miracles, and we'll talk about those, what the people saw. It so impressed them that they thought this must be the Messiah. This must be the one that we have been looking forward to. But as you read through it, look at verse 24. It says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he, what does it say? Knew all men. He could look right into their hearts looked right past everything that they were saying. If you were to look at the Greek words, what it's saying here is that while people believed in him, Jesus did not believe in them. It's exactly the same word. The word in trust, the word believe is exactly the same. They believed in him. Jesus did not believe in them. They were willing to trust him. He was not willing to entrust himself to them. It's because he knew really what that was all about. He knew that deep inside of their heart that it was a temporary belief. He knew that in just a quick, short amount of time <clears throat> that they would turn on him in an instant. And I'll t we'll go into a little bit more as to how we know, or at least what Jesus might have thought at that time, at least what was in their hearts. So he would not entrust himself then, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Lord knows what's in us too. He knows every cell in our body, every hair in our head. He knows every thought. He is not fooled. There's no way that you can play any games. And our constant appeal to all of this is not for our own sake, but just for your sake. You might find freedom in Christ. You might find joy in Christ where you just be honest before God. In a short while, we'll be, there'll be an invitation to go to the altar room or if you're in a venue, you can meet with Pastor Scott or one of the other pastors that are over there and we'll ask people to pray and some will feel intimidated to pray and we'll say, no, listen, you, you're not praying to me, you're just praying to the Lord. You talk to him. I'm not judging your prayer. You just pour out your heart to him. Your God's not fooled. If you're angry at him, tell him. You don't have to pretend you're not angry. You can say, God, I'm so angry. My kid has cancer. Tell him. Not that he needs to know, but he wants you to be honest. Tell him. Be honest before God in your prayers. He's big enough. He can handle it. You're not going to hurt his feelings. He knows when you're faking it. Tell him. So what were people seeing? People were seeing three things. They were seeing incredible healings. And we know this, not that, not that it's described here, but he says many miraculous signs. John later says, listen, I, I couldn't begin to write about everything that I saw. In fact, there's not enough parchment in the world to contain everything that I saw and everything that I heard. I'm just pulling out a few of the things so that you might know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing you have in his name, I'm just picking out a few of them. If you count all the miracles in Scripture from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's 37. That doesn't seem very many, does it? <laughs> Why are there only 37? How come there's not 110? A thousand. Wouldn't it be cool to read over a thousand different miracles? Because it wasn't about the miracles. <laughs> What's it about? About Jesus. The miracles point to him. 
In fact, what we're going to see in John chapter 3, John chapter 4, Nicodemus comes, having seen all of the signs, and he says to Jesus in John chapter 3, Jesus, we know that you're from God. That doesn't mean I know you came from God. We know that God's on you. I mean, nobody could do these things if God wasn't with you. Even Elijah couldn't begin to do all the things. So something special about you, what is it? And he's coming at the night because he's a little afraid of what others are going to say. And Pastor Rick will get into this. But even in the end, after seeing all of these things, guess what Jesus says in verse 10? He says, Nicodemus, you don't even believe the things I'm telling you about earthly things. How will you believe me about spiritual things? Nicodemus, you've seen it all and you still don't believe. In fact, as you read through the book of John, another story will come out where the Pharisees will say, Jesus, will you show us another sign? We need more signs. And Jesus would say, are you kidding me? I just took a little boy's sack lunch and I fed over 5,000, maybe 15,000 people. I just raised a guy from the dead. I just healed a guy who had been blind from birth. I did another guy who, who was at this pool for 30 some years and he could never walk and he healed and you need to see another sign? Some of you have had prayers answered and answered and answered and answered and the Lord would say, how many more prayers do you need to have answered? I have touched your life, I have blessed your life. You need another one? It's all about who Jesus is. So Jesus in John chapter four goes to a woman at the well, has a strategic appointment with this woman who had had five husbands and was the talk of the town. And she heard his words and believed and it changed her life. So much so she began telling all of her friends and that whole community said, this certainly is to Jesus. He is the savior of the world is what, the, what you'll read about in John chapter four. And the very next story is a man, he's a royal, he's a royal official, which means he's, in, he's a Gentile. And so here we have a Jewish leader, we have a Samaritan who's an outcast, and now we have a Gentile. No good Jew would even talk to a Gentile. Go even go into his house, would even touch him because lest they become unclean. And a royal official who has heard that Jesus is back in town, heard about what he did in Jerusalem. Oh, sir, Jesus, would you have mercy upon me? My son is really sick, he's dying. And Jesus says, is all you guys want to see? He's another miracle. And he says, please, Jesus, my son. I know you can touch my son. Would you come touch my son? And he says, sir, just go home. Your son's been healed. And the word says, here's this royal official who hardly knows squat about the Old Testament, believes Jesus. And he goes home and on the way, his servant meets him and he says, hey, hey, hey Bill, your son is healed. What time? It was at one o'clock. That's when I was with Jesus. And it says his whole household believed in Jesus. It's not about the signs, it's about who Jesus is and what you're gonna do with his name. Just like Pastor Rick said, who do men say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Is he just a good teacher? Is that all he is to you? That is one of the most important questions you can answer for yourself, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of God. And by believing, you have life in his name. So they saw all kinds of healings. They saw all kinds of deliverances, people who had great bondages, oppressed with demons. They saw that being released. And then they saw tremendous compassion wherever Jesus went. Don't miss this. Wherever Jesus went, he didn't turn anybody away. Folks, this is significant because in Jesus's day, there was a great caste system of people who were separated from the clean and the unclean. I could go into story after story after story where lepers who hadn't been touched for years were touched by Jesus. A person who had been an outcast because he was a tax collector. Jesus ate with him. Jesus had this magnetic personality 
Everyone who saw Jesus, including Nicodemus, knew that he was loved. There is nobody who walked away from Jesus who felt that Jesus didn't love them. And here he is on the Temple Mount, on the Temple Steps, teaching. And people not only are listening, not only are they seeing these deliverances and these healings, but they unmistakably, they saw the love of God in a way they've never seen it before. So much so that people said, this, this guy's different. He is not like the other religious leaders. He is different. So what were the people hearing? They were hearing three things. First, that Jesus, wherever he went, he was telling them that the kingdom of God has arrived. That was good news to them. They've been waiting for over 400 years for the Messiah to come. There was, when you read Daniel, there's a formula that was given that was quite clear that when you see this happen in 465 years, the Messiah is going to come. And folks, it was time. The time was ripe. They knew any day now this Messiah is going to show up. And he's saying now, as he goes from town to town, village to village, the kingdom of God is here right now. But they were also were hearing, and this is incredible too, is that the kingdom of God is available to all. Imagine the power of that, that those who had been outcast, that the kingdom of God is available to you because in that day, as it maybe sometimes it's felt like here, that if there's some disfavor going on in your life, that maybe God doesn't love you. And for there, then, it was very real. If you were not a part of the Pharisee clan, I mean, how, and you were just an average fisherman, is there even a place for you in God's kingdom? And Jesus was here, absolutely. When the woman in John chapter eight is thrown at, at, at Jesus' feet, and is caught in adultery, ready to be stoned. She did not at all expect that Jesus would reach out and say, honey, your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. The kingdom of heaven was available to her. The kingdom of heaven was available to the woman at the well who had had five husbands and was still living in sin. It was available to her. It was available to all. And that was huge news. But the other thing that caught them off guard and that Nicodemus had a hard time realizing is that Life is in the sun. Eternal life is in the sun. It's not in the Jewish heritage. It's not in the good works that you do. It's not in any other thing but in Christ. And that was hard for Nicodemus to hear about. When you look at Nick, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus thought he had been born right He'd been born in a Jewish home. He was circumcised when he was eight days old. He had endeavored to keep all the Jewish laws, which means that, that you eat certain ways and you have certain tools for certain things and you keep all of these laws, which is over 900 of them. And he was a religious leader. He knew all of Deuteronomy. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I, I understand that a Roman needs to be born again. He needs to start over, but me? I mean, I got it good. I, I'm part of Abraham's seed. Isn't there already automatic uh, place in heaven for me? And he says, no, Nicodemus. God sent me not to condemn the world, but the world through me might be saved, Nick. In the same way that a serpent was lifted up, so must I be lifted up. And whoever looks upon me and drawn to me will have eternal life. God loved the world so much, not just the Jewish people, but all the people. He loved us so much that he gave, him, gave me up that they might have life in me. That was a hard thing for, for Nick to grasp. But others did. So why did Jesus not entrust himself to the crowd? When you look at verse 24, it says, while the people believed in him, Jesus did not believe in them. While they tr were willing to trust in him, he was not willing to entrust himself to them. What was going on? I'm going to suggest three things. One is that they were enamored with all the miracles. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be pretty impressed? 
seeing all this stuff happening. Man, you want to go wherever he goes. In fact, that's what happened. When Jesus would get into a boat and sail the other side of the Sea of Galilee, this crowd would just keep following, keep watching the boat. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? <laughs> and they would, just this flock would go because they wanted to be there when the next thing would happen. They were enamored with him. He was the greatest thing in town. The second thing they look at is that they were looking for a political savior. All oh, they so badly wanted to be released from Rome. It was not easy living under Rome's rule. In fact, over for 2,000 years, folks, since Babylon to even present till 1948, Israel had no country of their own, no capital of their own. Folks, that has just happened. When you look at Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones, something that others had thought to ever be impossible is happening right now. Prophecy is coming true. But they were looking for a political savior. And Jesus would say to them, folks, you need something a whole lot more than that. They thought that if, if they could just change the government, right, things would get better. And sometimes I think people are left with the impression if we could just get a new president, if we could just get a new Congress, things are going to be a whole lot better. Folks, that's not what America needs. Well, I would hope that we would have righteous men and women leading us. What America needs is a change of heart, and that's why Jesus came. And people were looking for, they were ready to make him king. Do you know that? If you read in John chapter 6, they're ready to make him king. Jesus knew that. And he would say again that it's not my time. It's not my time. Over and over again, you'll see that throughout John, he says, my time's not ready yet, mom. You tell his brothers, my time's not ready yet. Until you get to John 13, where he finally says to his, where John finally says, Jesus says, you know, now's the time. After three and a half years, now's the time. He knew back here in John chapter two, which is early in Jesus' ministry, the time wasn't ripe yet. Lord, his heavenly father had a mission for him to minister to his disciples and to others. The time wasn't ripe yet. So those are three things that why Jesus did not entrust himself to the crowd. So what does Jesus know about us when he looks at us? It says he knows what's in the heart of men. What does he know? I'm gonna suggest three things real quickly. And you know this is to be true. <laughs> Isn't it true? We are easily fooled. Amen. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? You and I are easily tricked, are easily led astray. When I was back in Susquehanna Grace, back in uh, uh, Wrightsville, Pennsylvania, uh, I, I like, <laughs> my wife and I, we would kick back every once in a while. We would watch Hallmark movies. Any of you watch Hallmark movies? This is fun. I like Hallmark movies, right? They're romantic, they're fun, you know, and, and they're clean for the most part, they're clean. But what's the one theme that runs in every single Hallmark menu? What is the one thing that they want to get across? What's the, it comes at, and every single one, you watch one tonight, every single one, what do they say? You got it, follow your heart. Bingo, get that woman a coffee right after church, right? <laughs> Think about that. Follow your heart. Folks, let me tell you, you follow your heart, you'll go right into sin. Because a heart is deceitful. It will trick you. It will fool you. That's why over and over again, the scripture encourages us that we need to renew our mind. Because we will regularly have a conflict in our mind between what, we want, between what we want to do, what we feel like we need to do, and your mind saying, no, 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 don't, no, don't go down that road. <laughs> That's why we need to renew our mind. We need to have God's word deep in our heart. Because it alone, you know, we, folks, we're just like a ship that has a rudder. 
And if your heart is, steer, is steering your rudder, you're gonna go some places that you'll regret ever going. But if you allow the Lord to steer the rudder of your ship, if you allow his word to be deep in you, man, the Lord is gonna protect you from a lot of hurt. He knows that we're deceived. He also knows that like sheep, we're without a shepherd. He knows that if we're left to our own, we're just like a bunch of sheep that go wherever the grass is green and will soon walk right off the edge of the cliff. Whenever Jesus looked at the crowds, he said they were distressed and downcast. They're like sheep without a shepherd. The third thing that he sees is that we're also heavily burdened. He sees the cares of the world that you and I are carrying. He says they're distressed, they're downcast. And as he looks at people, that's what he sees. He looks, he knows your story. In fact, I, lo I love the verse in the Psalms that he says he, he has recorded every tear. And I love it in, in Revelation, I think it's in chapter 20, where he says he wipes away every tear and he says, that's it, that's the last one. Think about all the tears that you have shed. Jesus knows every single tear. He knows the burdens that you carry and he wants to transform those burdens into something new. So how do people respond to the gospel? Matthew chapter 13, we're not gonna read it, but I'm just gonna really encapsulate it. There's four responses possibly here today. Anytime the gospel is preached, when Franklin Graham comes and teaches, there's gonna be four, four different categories of how people are gonna respond. One of them, there'll be unbelief. And the story that Jesus shares in Matthew chapter 13 is the story of a man who's sowing his seed he has a big sack of seed from the previous year's harvest and he's taking his hand and he's reaching to the bag and he's flinging the seed and the seed just goes wherever. And some of the seed lands on hard soil and he says that's like a hard heart that the enemy snatches away and the crows and the birds and the starlings come down, they pick it up and steal it away. It never has a chance to take any root in a person's life and I hope that's not you today. I hope there's no one that's there but there possibly could be someone who said this is all nuts. I'm gonna challenge you. If you're in that camp, you go back and you relook and ask the Lord, just like the centurion, Lord, help my unbelief. Because I'm having a real tough time now. Lord, would you open my eyes? Would you open my heart? Would you help me to see your truth? But that could be a possible response today. A second response is that it's superficial. And we all know of those circumstances where a person, and I've seen this, I've had it in my office, and the people come, and they're all up on being repentive. They lost their job, they lost their girlfriend, marriage is in trouble. They got bad, they're fearful of what a doctor's report's gonna be and they wanna get right with God, right? Until that prayer is answered and they're delivered until the job comes and the wife gets back together with them or they get a new girlfriend or something and then they're off going their own thing again. And that's what Jesus, they sprout up, they have all this joy and then the heat comes and they get tested by fire and they're gone. And you and I know of individuals, I hope you're not one of them. This is meant to, for each of us to examine our life. Don't be one of these superficial people. In fact, when you read the book of Hebrews, they were being tested by fire. All of their leaders were put into prison. And the writer of Hebrews says, don't you, don't continue to hold on, continue to press on. And that would be my encouragement to you today. To whatever burden that you're experiencing, continue to press on. Continue to cling on to Christ. Wait and watch what he will do. Then there's a third category, and these are individuals that are conflicted. They have so many cares in the world. Jesus, or Paul, or sorry, John says in John chapter two, verse 15, he says, do not love the world or anything that's in the world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything that's in the world, lust of the flesh, the passions of my life, 
the lust of the eyes, the bright sprinkly things, you know, that go chasing after, or the boastful, prideful things of life, the successes and accomplishments, all of those are not from the Father, they're of the world. And all of those things are gonna pass away, but the one who does the will of God will live forever. Don't you wanna live forever? I do. Amen. It makes it really clear, folks, this world is limited. We're only gonna be here for a few years. Eternity is forever. You wanna be ready for eternity. And that's the last category. That's the fruitful life. That's the life that puts our roots down deep in Christ. It weathers the storms that come. And the fruit that comes out of it blesses others. Our life begins making a difference and the scent of our life is joy-filled and fruitful and contagious to other people. That's the life that he desires for every single one of us. But it only comes when we become really surrendered to him. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon was a great preacher, one of the best. He said that the Lord knows right well that we cannot change our own heart we cannot cleanse our own nature, but he also knows that he can do both. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news? Because we're not here talking about a self-improvement course. You ever been to one of those? It lasts for about 30 days, right? <laughs> we're talking about a heart change. And when we talk about a heart change, it means that our appetites change. Our longings change. Our desires change. And that only comes in Christ. And Spurgeon is right. We can't do it ourselves, but Christ can. Jesus said in John chapter 12, so that when a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the heavenly Father who sent me. So when he looks at me, when you look at Christ, you see the heavenly Father who sent him, he says, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I saw this with my friend Dan. He was a three-time vet in Afghanistan, PTSD. He, he had seen some really bad things. And whenever I saw Dan, and we prayed long for Dan, and there was this, this dark cloud that was over him. And when he surrendered himself to Christ, his amazing story, it was like the light bulbs went on. I mean, there was a brightness to his face. There was a brightness in his eyes. It changed him dramatically when he met Christ. And when I saw that happen, all of a sudden this verse, all of a sudden, wow, that's what that's talking about. He came out of darkness. He is in light today. Isn't that credible? So here's the so what. So why the Lord bring you here this morning? Do you sense he is the one that drew you here. Do you recognize his sovereign work that you are here not by accident today, but by his grace today? If that is true, if you sense that, then, then there's a legitimate question to ask. Is there business that you need to take care of before the Father? Do you have some unfinished work? Is there, is there something that the Holy Spirit's been tugging at your heart that, that you, need just make, you need to get right with the Lord? And we're here today not to bring condemnation to anybody, but to bring encouragement. As we close here today, and I'm going to close here in just a moment, uh, the invitation is always open to come and to pray, whether it's in the venue or whether it's here at the altar. Come. We, we would love to pray with you. Not, not that you're doing it for us. We're, we, we just want to bring you to the presence of the Father, that you might find his joy and his delight. Is your faith being tested? You may be here today and you, you are secure in Christ, but boy, you're going through some tough weeds right now. You got some news from the doctor that you wish you didn't get. I mean, there could be a number of things that you may be facing. 
Most of us have faced those kind of things. In fact, if you are here thinking that you're the only one that's carrying the kind of story you have, welcome to the family. <laughs> you may be here and you look at all of us and we're all pretty. You don't know our stories. You don't know the story underneath the pretty. Because there's folks here who've buried loved ones recently. There's folks here who are struggling with family members who have dementia and Alzheimer's disease. There's folks here that have stage four cancer. There's folks here that got some bad news. There's folks here. I met a guy last night, 40 times in jail. You think you're the only one that's been in jail? You think you're the only ones that have been hooked on drugs? Welcome to the family. Don't let the pretty clothes fool you because there's room in the kingdom of God for you. Jesus wants to touch your life, not because you're pretty, but he wants to redeem your story and make it new in Christ. So my purpose here this morning, as it was last night, is just to present God's truth. That's all, right? It's just to say, this is what Jesus said. This is his story. And John is right. Anyone who believes and puts their trust in him has life, has eternal life. We want you to have it too. I'm gonna close in prayer and we'll end our time here. But you don't have to run out. If you would like someone to pray with you, we're happy to do that. And if you're brand new, I'd love to meet with you here. But listen, trust this to the Lord. Let's ask him to work in our life and work through us. In Jesus' name, right? Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your tender care. I thank you, Lord, that your mercies are new every single morning. They're never exhausted. And that your grace is sufficient for every story that's here today. Lord, you're good. Lord, you are good. In Jesus, you are enough. The psalmist said, Lord, you are my shepherd and you are fully satisfied. And Lord, I pray that it might be our experience where we would discover you to be that treasure that's worth everything to have. So Holy Spirit, have your way with us here today. Lord, as we go, maybe there was something here we can grab, we can use to share with a friend that we've been sharing with that would make a difference of eternal joy in their life. Use us, Lord, for as long as we have breath, may we live for Christ until we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord bless you. Lord use you. Have a great day.